Swanit. Welcome to the Swanit Podcast Roundtable. This is a new series of episodes created by the Swanit Podcast and Provini, where we'll have roundtables with experts of the global swine industry, tackling subjects that can influence the producer's bottom line. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. ProVMe supports the podcast goal of helping pork producers improve their systems and businesses. Let's get back to the podcast. Hello, everyone. So today we'll talk about essential worker safety. Nick, Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Marzio. It's nice to be with you. Yeah, very excited to be here with you, you and Steve today. Thank you both. And Nick, if uh, we could start with you, uh, just for folks that might not be familiar with you in the audience, uh, you know, if you can share just your journey so far. Yeah, sure. So my name is Nick Trublick. I'm the business operations director for animal nutrition in North America for Cargill. Um, 21 years with uh, Cargill, uh, predominantly in the United States. Uh, 18 of those 21 years based here in the U.S. And uh, spent three years where I lived in the Netherlands and uh, was responsible for uh, Europe, Middle East, Russia, Africa, India, and South Korea. Uh, so I had a nice stint uh, overseas, but uh, sure glad to be home. Um, today, my uh, scope of responsibility is we have 70 an animal nutrition locations uh, within the U.S. and Canada, and business operations is really around servicing the customer, environmental health and safety, food safety, quality, and regulatory, and then we have this manufacturing excellence group that's really around build right, maintain right, and controlling costs, so driving that continuous improvement culture. So a great career, uh, get to, to work with a great group of people, and uh, you'll get to hear from Steve Edmonds, who's one of my colleagues today, uh, who's, who's uh, great in the EH&S space. I love it. Uh, one question here before we jump uh, to Steve's background, uh, Nick, I want to know what was your biggest lesson traveling to all those countries that you've been to? Yeah, so for me, uh, maybe biggest lesson and, and uh, thing that made the biggest impact on me is you know, regardless of what country you're in, um, you know, people are, are really great all over the world. Um, people want to do the right thing. Um, I think uh, working for Cargill, we, you know, we use the, uh, we have the best people in the industry or in the world. And, and I can just tell you, you know, traveling to you know, over 40 countries in my career and, and interacting with people, everybody wants to do the best job that they possibly can every single day. So it gives me a, a, a nice perspective uh, on life and the world that uh, people are great. I love it. Thanks for that. And uh, Steve, how about you? How about your journey so far? Okay, well, I've actually been with Cargill for 15 years, Marcio. I've uh, been in the environmental health and safety field for about 35 years. I was late coming to Cargill. I often tell my friends and my family, I sure wish I'd have found Cargill 15 or 20 years sooner than I did uh, because of some of the things that Nick shared and its, its commitment to its people. Uh, I've worked in, in our plants. I've also been responsible for health and safety for our North American starches and sweeteners business, as well as our 
North American protein manufacturing businesses. Uh, my current role is the environmental health and safety director for our eastern region of the United States, as well as a little bit of the Caribbean. And, uh, and I've been doing that for just a couple months, actually. But even in all those roles and with other organizations, one of the things that keeps me very enthusiastic and happy to come to work every day is knowing that I'm working with an organization that puts people first and want to make sure that our folks get home to their families at the end of every day, safe and, and ready to enjoy their family and able to provide for them. So that I, I share that it's important for me and I know that it's important for Cargill. That's a great uh, segue here, um, uh, Steve, uh, to, you know, to get really dive into this topic of um, worker safety and uh, Nick, uh, let's focus a little bit on the feed mill side of things, and then we can transition uh, later here for Steve more on the packing plant uh, side of things. So from a feed mill standpoint, um, what was implemented in relation to temperature screening uh, of employees? Yeah, Marshall, thanks for the question. I think, you know, one of the consistencies that you'll find between Steve and I's answer is we're fairly standardized of what we're doing in Cargill uh, regarding all the safety protocols for COVID. Um, it's just really around the size and the scope of the facility around, you know, what technologies that we have. So, uh, for instance, within our feed mills, we can have anywhere from uh, three people on a shift up to 30 people on a shift, right? And Steve will talk through some of the some of the large numbers that we have in the packing plant but from a temperature screening perspective uh, as soon as uh, we heard about the the outbreak in China uh, we were very reactive and we were able to get the handheld uh, temperature guns that you scan over the top of people's temple um, to, to, to take their temperature as time has evolved we've been able to uh, work with some of our technology partners and we have infrared cameras so um, basically, we have an infrared camera at each one of the entrances prior to someone coming in the facility. And these infrared cameras, can you can walk through and they scan a person's temperature. And if it's above that 99 degrees, it will give a beep sound. That beep sound indicates that, you know, we need to go to secondary screening and notifies the employee that, you know, they're above average on temperature. So uh, the great thing about these infrared cameras is... You, you, they don't have to be manned, meaning um, they're very small and you uh, can actually have uh, an HDMI cable running to a display monitor to show you, you know, hey, this was the person that was uh, temperature was elevated. Very interesting. And those work pretty well from, from uh, being sensitive and uh, those sorts of things. Yeah, they really do. So uh, the calibration is is obviously really important when you first install them to to get them right. Um, and you know we've had uh, uh, we haven't had any mechanical issues, but we still have the the the, the old fashioned temperature guns that uh, if they happen to not be working correctly, uh, we can always go back to them. Awesome. How about from our cleaning or sanitation uh, standpoint? Yeah, so, you know, uh, from a sanitation perspective, um, I think the first component of, of sanitation is really mapping out the common areas within the facility. So this really comes back to our social distancing practices. And um, what we did really early in the process is is mapping out where we're going to have common areas in our facilities. So, uh, you know, some of the common areas could be uh, the time clock room, 
uh, the break room, the restrooms, uh, where we have our shift meetings. And that's really forced us to think differently about how we do those things, right? So, uh, you know, for instance, uh, prior to COVID, we would have a, a morning uh, shift meeting, an afternoon shift meeting, and an evening shift meeting at each one of our facilities. And some of these uh, areas that we um, get together in are very small. So, um, it, it, for sure, we wouldn't be able to adhere to social distancing. So, we've had to uh, come up with different practices to where maybe now we do that in a warehouse house to where we display it on a projector and we have, you know, X's on the floor to where people are, you know, further than six feet apart that you can do your, your, uh, your communication of what needs to be done for the day. Now, back to your question on, on sanitation, any of the areas that we have common people or we have uh, a lot of, um, we can't adhere to social distancing. They are cleaned once a day thoroughly by those operators um, and, and totally disinfect those areas. And then when that shift begins, the next shift also disinfects that area. So you kind of have that duplication uh, where you clean at the beginning and at the end of your shift. That way you don't have any kind of community spread. Very good. From a social distance standpoint, you mentioned the meetings right on the on the warehouse and anything else um, that you find uh, was interesting or implemented from from that standpoint. Yeah, so uh, what I say, and I, this kind of goes back to my comment around people are great and they always want to do well, right? So it's really easy for a, a director of my site to, to go in and say, hey, we need to we need to implement social distancing. Well, what that does initially is it complicates our operators' lives, meaning, well, if I can't do that, then you know how am I going to get my job done? The great thing about what we've been able to see from our employees is their continuous improvement mindset. And we've had a lot of best practices and efficiencies come out of, of, well, if I can't go to this common area, well, I'm going to create a new common area with a computer screen to where I can see what's going on. And then I don't have to walk another 25 steps. I can just turn around and look at this specific computer screen to check to see if my bin, bin is empty or if uh, I need to print tags. I'm going to move this entire tag machine over here. That way I don't have to go into the control room. So it's been really uh, it's been really fun to see. It's, I, I think the initial gap was within the communication. But uh, after 10 months, I would say our team have done really well at, at uh, overcoming the communication gaps. And that's amazing because if you think about, you know, these days, you know, everyone wearing masks and those things, uh, which helps, of course, for COVID, but also helps for other diseases. So it's interesting to see that these, uh, these changes probably going to stick around, which is, which is good. Yeah, your, your point's really valid, Mar Mar Marcio. I think um, uh, I've had the, 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 uh, the ability to tour a couple facilities over the last 10 months. And I would just say, uh, I feel and I have empathy for our employees uh, that have to wear masks every single day, especially with their safety glasses, because we know you get to, to working hard to whether you're you know, cutting in bags or you're, you're stacking pallets or, or unstacking pallets, you, that heat has to release somewhere. And if you go too fast, you, you tend to fog up those glasses. But I just want to say to, to all the workers out there that are working hard every single day, thank you. And, and you're still being recognized for the great job that you're doing to service our customers. Yeah. Right. You have the essential workers from the hospital side of things, but also from the food side of things. And that's really what they are doing. Very good. Um, 
Nick, any final thoughts relative to staff safety uh, and COVID at the feed mill? Yeah, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is is those protocols work, and uh, we have found them extremely effective. That, you know, the self screening is is probably most important. You know, our our teammates and our employees, you know, when you're not feeling uh, uh, right, so trigger on that and don't come to work sick. Right. I think the second thing, this temperature screening and and asking the questions around, have you been around someone that that's uh, that's sick or that's had exposure to COVID? Uh, I think asking those every single day to fight complacency is is really important. I think the temperature screening is a, a clear indicator, and and as you had mentioned, uh, that can be a a, a preventer to to get. Uh, prevent people from being sick and, and other illnesses as well. And then really following the, the mask and uh, the social distancing, uh, that works. And then last but not least, the sanitation point. And be sure that uh, uh, you have those strict schedules and you're inspecting what you're expecting. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nick. We, we, we'll come back to you here in, a, in at the end, but uh, let's transition from the feed mill to the packing plants. Uh, Steve, uh, you're an expert on the packing plant side of things. Uh, what's been done from an uh, active screening uh, standpoint? Well, it's an interesting question, and, and Nick's exactly right. Uh, from a practice standpoint, our policies and, and practices are, are the same, whether we're in a feed mill or in a packing plant within Cargill, it really becomes a matter of scope, Marcio. So, so we may have several hundred people entering the, one of our packing plants to, at the start of a shift. So the plants have worked extremely hard at staggering shifts so that first shift people coming into work aren't meeting third shift people leaving work as an example, so that we have gaps of time between to kind of prevent that mass gather of people and, and promote the social distancing capability. So so we've staggered our, our work shifts. We've also set up our screening areas with social distancing capabilities. So we've created walkways, handrails, uh, markings on the floor uh, to create that six foot mark and and people are very aware of that and they're they're quite good and helpful at at, com at complying with that and maintaining social distance through that process we also use thermal scanning uh, and we also ask a series of questions as provided by the CDC or our local state or uh, city requirements if they have something beyond or above what the CDC wants us to do. And if we have somebody who screens out on that, they go to secondary screening. We're in, we're in a packing plant. We have uh, health professionals that will meet with them and, and review additional information and ask more detailed questions and make the determination whether they can proceed to the workplace or whether they need to be uh, asked to, to leave and go home and follow up with their primary care physician. So we've, uh, we've worked really hard at setting that process up to, move, to help people move smoothly so they're not standing in lines a long time. We have some of our facilities, in all honesty, that do that as a drive-through. And so they have a person that comes in in a car and they screen them in their car. And if, if a trigger is met, they'll actually take the car and drive to another area and have another person meet them 
to do that secondary screening in a car. So our facilities following the same requirements have created some innovative ways to meet the needs of the of their individual facilities as well. I think one thing we have in our packing plants that's kind of unique from a communication standpoint is the need to meet multiple language needs. So through that screening process, through that communication process, whether it be posters, whether it be CCTV ads, whether it be actual interpreters, our sites have worked extremely hard to meet the language needs of our employees to try to avoid confusion or misunderstanding. Very interesting. From a social distance standpoint, you mentioned a few things. Anything else to add? I mean, packing plants are extremely efficient uh, uh, places. Uh, and, they are right. How how did that um, <laughs> how did that change with social distance and, and anything else that we implemented from that standpoint? Sure, it, it's it's changed significantly, Marcio. So so we have looked at all of our facilities, and we have put in place plexiglass barriers, if you will, between our employees to create that that barrier where we couldn't get a, ma a minimum of six feet between workstations. And we've done an extensive amount of, of insulation of those barriers. We also, where we can't meet that, we have uh, face mask and face shield requirements uh, to uh, where we can't keep people six feet away. Uh, we've also done a lot of work in our hallways. So we've put in handrails as an example and created one-way traffic flows for people so that we're not bumping into each other. We've physically separated the break rooms uh, with barriers so that people can sit at a table and be protected uh, from others or protect themselves from uh, others from themselves while they're having lunch. We've had some plants that have created red tag, green tag approaches where they sit down in the break room for their lunch and there'll be a, a red tag or a green tag there. It was green when they sat down. When they get up and leave, they'll flip that over to red and another person will know they can't use that until it's been sanitized. So we ha we'll have people in our break rooms constantly moving and, and sanitizing those uh, common areas, whether they be the tables, the chairs, doorknobs, handrails, um, uh, microwaves, whatever the case might be. So we've done an extensive amount of separating people as much as we can. If we can't, implementing protective equipment solutions, and then also staggering uh, the starts and stops of people to try to maintain as much distance as we can. Anything else from a hygiene and, and disinfection standpoint, you mentioned the, the red and, and green, and that's, that's pretty cool. Um, in Brazil, we have, you, you might be familiar with the churrascarias or, uh, well, in U.S., you have Fogo de Chao, right? Uh, the steakhouses, yep. and, and you have the, the green and the red for more meat, less meat. But uh, so it's it's funny that triggers that uh, that memory. But <laughs> anything else from hygiene or disinfection standpoint? Well, I would say we have people who are dedicated throughout the course of their day to performing sanitation duties. So we constantly have people uh, working around the facility in common areas cleaning things and disinfecting things, as well as what Nick talked about with uh, nightly sanitation, weekly deep cleans, and, and self-sanitation. So uh, that sanitation piece and the education of employees on what they can do to help with that has become extremely important in our packing plants. 
How about from a communication and uh, education standpoint, Steve? Well, that's uh, we've we've we kind of touched on that a little bit. We have had to um, get pretty creative at times about being able to communicate and and meet or touch and connect with all of our employees. So we have uh, probably doubled at least, if not more, the number of monthly safety meetings, as an example. We might have a facility, uh, have every month. So we don't want to lose that connection point of promoting the safety and well-being of our people and the role that our folks play in that. So we continue to have those, but instead of a group of 40, we'll have a group of 10 in a bigger room so they can social distance. And so we're having significantly more of them, Marcio. And at the same time, uh, meeting the needs of language barriers, interpretation, or interpreters, et cetera. So, so that's been pretty challenging for us, but, but people have been open to it and, and willing to go that extra mile, if you will, to make sure we can keep that communication flowing. Uh, our big plants rely a lot on uh, multi-language posters, uh, constant scrolling of TV information, if you will, or information on TV in multiple languages. And the other thing that I think is kind of unique is we have a lot of messaging that takes place um, that, that speaks no language. It's all done through visual cues that are meant to mean the same, regardless of a person's language. And those seem to be fairly effective at, at connecting to, to groups of very diverse people. Interesting. Uh, how about, uh, you know, uh, Steve, you have any final thoughts on staff uh, safety uh, relative to COVID at the packing plant level? Sure. Um, one, one of the things we always get concerned about, Marcio, is COVID's been with us a long time. And, you know, it started in March in our business where we started uh, implementing a lot of controls that we continue to try to improve and, and make better. Over time, we always have the opportunity for drift uh, and, and what becomes the new normal. So I, I think it's extremely important that we're, we're reviewing what we're doing, looking at its effectiveness. We do conduct daily COVID, we can call them inspections or audits. We like to call them observations. How are people doing with their face masks? Do our barriers look like they're correct? and the right dimensions and are they effective? And, and part of that is to be visible, but part of it is to keep what we're, what we're working with in the forefront and the challenges that COVID brings to our workplace to try to promote that with folks so that we don't see drift. It's, it's, it's important today. It's just as important as it was six months ago. And we've got to work through this together. And this is one way we can help make that happen. So I think that follow-up and reinforcement and preventing the drift is something that's extremely important for our packing plants. Very good. Um, I wanted to get a little philosophical here, right? With the, with the distancing and the masks and the barriers and all those things, uh, do you notice any, I don't know if, what's the word, right? If it's not the engagement, but I mean, people are people, right? Yep. So we like that connection. So there's less people connection, right? So the question is, do we need to be doing, or are you doing, or, or should we start, start thinking about extra things we should do just to keep, you know, the team 
engage them among them? Oh, I think that's a really good question. And the answer is yes. And, and I think one of the challenges we've faced through this whole COVID time period is the wear and tear it can take on us mentally and socially, right? We are social creatures by habit, which is a good thing. We enjoy other people's company and we're definitely impacting that in, in a negative way. So we have done a lot of outreach and communication and education on the resources available to our employees and, our, and their families on how to deal with that, how to cope, whether it be a webinar, whether it be uh, hotline numbers that people can call for support. So we, we have a lot of people who are really focused on making sure people understand the resources available through Cargill to help them through those types of challenges. Uh, I'd give another example. So in the facility I work in, they have an annual Christmas party. Well, they, they, they've had to cancel the Christmas party for obvious reasons, right? But what they have done is provided employees with tickets to do a drive-through in a local community of all the Christmas lights. And then across the road, they set up a spot for Santa to sit and hand out presents to the employees' children, right? And, and so, yeah, we're not together as a group, but it's still that connection point of we're still Cargill, we're still one, we're working through this together, and we're all still valued. And I think that's extremely important. I love it. Any insights on that last topic here, Nick? Yeah, I think Steve said it well. And, and since we're philosophical, I'll, I'll uh, chime in here <laughs> as well. But um, I mean, anytime you're, you're wearing a mask and you're, you're not able to see people for people, you're, you're somewhat dehumanizing uh, just, you know, the, the general in, environment. I think, uh, think about you going to the grocery store. How many times have you been bumped into the grocery store and somebody may not say, hey, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to do that. And really, if you dehumanize, you think of things as objects, right? So uh, I think anything you can do to, to Steve's point to, to really see people for people and check in on their psychological safety and really get back to, you know, we're all people in the end and, and we want to do the right thing. And, and uh, I think that's really important. So yeah, good, good topic. I'm glad you asked the question. Awesome. And then the last question I have for both of you, uh, Steve, uh, first could be, uh, if you could write something on a billboard for everyone to see around the globe, uh, what would that say? Specific to COVID, Marcio? Your or call. Anything. Your, anything. <laughs> That's a really interesting question. If I think about the COVID theme, I think the billboard would say, COVID is real. Take care of you. Help take care of me. And our loved ones will stay safe. Awesome. I love it. How about you, uh, Nick? Yeah, it's another good question. I think, uh, you know, follow the protocols and this will be gone soon enough. I love it. Amazing. Uh, Steve, Nick, thanks so much. Uh, really appreciate uh, your time here today and uh, see you soon. Thank you, Marcio. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven-week-long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. 
It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcio Gonçalves, and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com. Música